What a glorious time of worship through song. Amen? I mean, just great. Now, I would say that, uh, that we've heard the gospel and we don't need to hear it, uh, but I'm going to preach anyway. I was over there. I couldn't hardly stand sitting over there. I was ready to come preach the word of God to you. So open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, and we're going to look at, Lord willing, this morning, verses 20 through 25 this morning. Mark 11, 20 through 25. I've got to tell you also while you're turning there that just thrills my soul to, uh, to look across the room and to see hands raised and people singing from their guts. Uh, the, the, the words that we're singing to look over and see teenagers not saying, I need my iPod, I need, you know, Facebook or I need this, but just lifting their hands, faces toward heaven, saying, God, I need you. Isn't that good? And to hear the children on the road behind me just singing, singing, God, we need you. God, I need clean hands. I can't. You can. Aren't you glad? That, that we're raising a generation to love the Lord above everything else. It's good. Your amen was weak, but, uh, but we'll let it go. Okay? Probably some coffee left out there in the canisters, you know, if you need another shot of caffeine. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm itching to go. So let's look at our text this morning. Mark 11, verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter... Remember, and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. And truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now we'll come back tonight and, and look at verse 25 separately. But this morning I want to deal in detail with verses 20 through 24. Um, prayer is important. And that's the subject for us this morning. But this particular text is often used to teach something that Jesus never meant for it to teach. Um, Jesus here begins right on the heels of of cursing the fig tree, clearing out the temple. I mean, going at going in and just taking over Jerusalem, clearing out the temple. He all of a sudden, when Peter says here, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed, it's withered. It's withered away to its root. All of a sudden, Jesus says, have faith in God. If anybody says to this mountain, be cast in the sea, he can say it, believe it, and it will be done for him. Now, why? Why is Jesus all of a sudden here in the midst of everything else, all of a sudden going to prayer? Well, is it to reveal the secret revelation of prosperity gospel? Prosperity theology. I mean, that's the way this particular set of verses is used a lot. You turn on the television and you see this a lot. You hear this all the time. Let me give you some examples. This is not my intention is not to bash individuals. My intention, though, is to bring you to awareness of what is taught out there. Benny Hinn. 
taken directly from his own website, BennyHinn.org. I'm not endorsing that, not telling you to go there, but I went there for research, and this is what I found. On his own website, he says, I definitely feel led to ask my partners and ministry friends, i.e. those who send me money, to begin believing for three specific miracles. Your financial situation will revive and improve greatly. Number two, a hundredfold return will come to you this year. Number three, God will reveal hidden treasure to you. (laughs) Sounds more like what I get inside the fortune cookie at the Oriental House on Woodruff Road than it does what I get when I open the Word of God. How dare someone stand and take what Jesus said and twist it to where it is about you? It attempts to make Jesus the genie. The genie in the bottle that if you just rub the bottle the right way and you believe hard enough, he will poof out of that thing and he will give you three wishes. Creflo Dollar, Creflo Dollar from his website. This is lengthy, but I want to read it to you. He writes this article in a court of law. Evidence can mean the, the difference between prison and freedom, life and death. In the spirit realm, faith is the evidence that guarantees the promises of God. It is the force that connects you to prosperity, which includes healing, deliverance, emotional wellness and overall success. The word faith is often used interchangeably with hope, but they are two different sides of the same coin, he says. Some people may sincerely believe and hope God will help them. But healing, but nothing happens without faith. God's word is full of promises to us. From healing to deliverance, everything we need to live a life of peace and prosperity is available to us. However, if we do not know what the word says, we have no substance, no evidence and no faith. You have the right to be healed. You have the right to be happy and wealthy and wise and free from every type of oppression. Learn your rights and start presenting your evidence to God. Now, there's some truth in that. Unless we have the revelation of the word of God, we won't know what to believe. But I don't think he's got a revelation of the word of God here. I think what he's done is he's taken the word of God and he's twisted it to meet his own selfish desires. God never promised you a life of prosperity. Prosperity gospel is a lie out of the pit of hell. It will not preach anywhere else but in America. Yet it's being taken and exported out of America to places like Africa and China, where there is intense suffering and it is being sold to believers, telling them things like that their animals won't die. Their wives won't have miscarriages. If they just believe this gospel. I missed the part when I read through the scriptures where the gospel is about pigs and miscarriages. And money and cars and rings. This is not what Jesus is saying here. He's not all of a sudden turning and talking about prayer so that they would get this whole revelation of prosperity whether it's Penny Hinn or Creflo Dollar or Kenneth Copeland or Marilyn Hickey or Joyce Meyer or T.D. Jakes or the Apostle Ron Carpenter. 
They're all preaching a gospel that is false. It is not the gospel. It is a scheme from the devil himself to take your eyes off of what we tried to put your eyes on this morning and put your eyes back on yourself and make God existent for you and for your glory. God doesn't exist for our glory. God exists. Therefore, he is glorious. We are to live for his glory. Are you all here this morning? All right. So if it's not to reveal this prosperity gospel, could it be that Jesus knows that they're going to need prayer if they're going to finish the mission? If they're going to finish not their mission, but his mission, he is about to leave. He's about to leave them and leave his work in their hands. Up till now, they have been able to, whenever they wanted to, these 12, simply to pull Jesus aside. Said, Jesus, I've, I've got this question. Jesus, I need to ask you this. Jesus, what does this mean? What did you mean when you cursed the fig tree? Jesus, look around. The Pharisees, the scribes, they, they hate you, Jesus. What, what are we supposed to do? Up till now, they've been able to pull Jesus aside and talk to him in person anytime they want. But Jesus knows that's about to come to an end. They will need to know just how important prayer is. Not only are they about to lose Jesus, he's about to leave and go back to heaven. They will not leave. He will not. They will not lose him for good. He never leaves or forsakes those who trust him. But his physical presence with them was about to be gone. Not only that, though, Jesus has just cursed the temple and everything that Judaism has ever known. Remember, we talked last week that that the temple was the very heart of Israel. Everything that they have ever known as far as how they come to God was just cursed. In the year 70 A.D., they're not there yet. We are able to look back. It is about to be destroyed completely. So this Old Testament way to get to God was about to be gone. Jesus was physically about to be gone. And so Jesus here begins to teach them this lesson about prayer. The lesson is for us as well. It's about prayer. It's about its privilege. We can't pull him aside today either. You can't take Jesus by the arm. You can't message him. You can't you can't tweet him or Facebook him. You can't call him and set up an appointment and say, meet me at the coffee shop. The child of God, you have a privilege that is much greater than that. You can say, I will go boldly into the very presence of God in his throne room in heaven. And the way you do that is through prayer. Not only is it privilege, it's also necessity. The question was asked in the Sunday school class where I was this morning. Is anything too trivial to pray about? Absolutely not. One of the responses that was given was, how could anything be too trivial if he already knows everything? We need prayer. They needed prayer. And so this morning, I want to help you 
as I have been helped this week in studying the word of God to get a new maybe outlook on prayer. I think for many of us, prayer is something that we don't do as much as we should. Therefore, we feel guilty about it. And oftentimes we pretend that we pray more than we do in order to impress one another. And let's just get real honest this morning. That's about as far away from a relationship with Christ as it could ever be. There is no guilt in this relationship with Christ. He's taken all the guilt. There is no need to impress one another. Because you can't impress him. Yet he loves you so much. That he came and he died in your place. Let's have that attitude toward prayer. I want to help you. I want to give you three things this morning quickly about prayer. Number one, if you want to pray in the way that Jesus longed for them to pray, it will help if you will remember God's works in the past. Remember God's works in the past. In verses 20 and 21, it says Peter remembered. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. This is no coincidence. Yes, this is before Jesus says to him, have faith in God. But it's no coincidence. It's part of the story. Peter remembers here. It had only been 24 hours since since they had passed by this same fig tree in the morning. And Jesus had gone to it to see if there were any figs on it that he might eat. He was hungry. And when he got to it, he found nothing but leaves, if you'll remember. There was no fruit on it whatsoever. And so he looks at this tree that should at this point not have ripe fruit, but it should have at least edible fruit. And he says to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And this is not lost on Peter. Peter points out that it's withered away to its roots. I mean, this is this is a miraculous thing. Don't miss this. I mean, I can kill stuff in a garden or in a flower bed quicker than anybody, okay? But not quicker than Jesus. I've never been able to look at anything in my garden and say, be dead. Now, I can neglect it. I can spray stuff on it, but I can't speak to it and kill it. Jesus speaks to it and kills it. This is not a positive miracle, but it is nonetheless the power of God. Do you see it? This is not lost on Peter. The connection was made. He remembered. I was watching the PGA Championship a little bit yesterday. Anybody, anybody, any golf fans in the room? A little bit? Why is there such a fuss over Tiger Woods? I thought about this as I'm watching it. He didn't make the cut. This is the first time I think ever he's missed the cut at the PGA Championship. But they followed him around on every hole. And everything was about Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. Why? Because they remember what he did. They remember that he used to be great. And they long for, they know that it's in him and that one day he may be great again and they don't want to miss it when it happens. What would it be like if we, like Peter, remembered the greatness of God? Would it revolutionize our prayer lives? One of the best motivators to pray is to remember God's works in the past. This is what God repeatedly challenged the people of Israel to do. We sang a song this morning. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Now, that's not exactly, you know, 2011 language. Ebenezer, you know, I mean, 
most of the time outside of the church context, when you hear Ebenezer, you think of Scrooge. So is that what we say? Here I raise my Scrooge. If you notice down at the bottom, there was an asterisk and it said Ebenezer was a memorial stone. It's also another meaning for it's the same thing, but another meaning it's a stone of help. We made reference to it in the definition, but let me just go back and read you the portion of Scripture where the Ebenezer came to be. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. And he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. Is it any wonder that he cursed the fig tree? He thunders and throws the armies of the Philistines into confusion. And they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. They set up that stone so that every time they would come by that stone in the future, they would look at that stone and be reminded of him thundering and sending the Philistines into confusion. This is what we need to do. We need to remember how God has worked mightily in our lives. Can you think back? Can you remember when God showed up in a way that only he would get the glory? Many of you, and I've told this story before, so forgive me, but I can't get over it because it was so powerful in my life. Many of you often ask me, how do you keep going? I mean, how how do you continue to do what you do when you're faced with criticism, negativity, bitterness? You want to know how? I remember. I remember sitting in that auditorium, the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama, at that pastor's conference, weeping for months before that. Weeping in that pastor's conference, making the decision of the very last day of that conference that if God didn't show up, if God didn't show me that he wanted me to serve him in the context of the church, then I was done. I was heading back from Birmingham that night to Hueytown, and I was telling my wife we were out. We were through with church. And I remember with tears streaming down my face, Rick Alsley, that pastor, getting up at the front of the auditorium and saying, Scott Ogle, come serve the body of Christ. Now, all he was doing in that was taking names that had registered for this conference and calling men to come distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper. But my God, 
my God, who thunders and sends Philistines into confusion and speaks to a, a tree and it dies. My God took the words of Rick Owsley and spoke into my life. Come serve the body of Christ. You wonder how I keep going sometimes? Because I'll never get over what God did. There was, there's never anything that can shake my confidence that He has called me. There's no church that has called me. He has called me. If I live on the assurance of a church calling me, I will be nervous. I will be weak. I will fall under the pressure. But if I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, but the God who is in heaven, that He called me, I will continue to look to that Ebenezer stone. And regardless of what comes my way, I will serve the body of Christ. And how that would revolutionize our prayer lives if we would all say, God, things are rough right now. Things are cold and dark and hard. It's I'm weeping, God, right now. I don't seem to see you anywhere around me. I don't see you coming on the horizon. But God, I remember. I remember the day when I was running my hellbound race. I remember the day when I was dead, could not come to you at all. And you came to me and you made me alive and you turned me around and you drew me to yourself by your grace and for your glory. God, I remember. So, God, regardless of what it looks like out there, regardless of what's not on the horizon, God, I remember God, keep me faithful. It would revolutionize our prayer lives if we would remember what God has done in the past. And then secondly, if we would trust God's plans for the future. We would trust God's plans for the future. Jesus simply here says, have faith in God. The issue here, though, is not necessarily faith for salvation. The issue here has more to do with God's character. It's not so much their faith as much as it is as it is his character. You ever hear anybody say something like, trust me? Sometimes you do, and sometimes your response is, okay. Other times the person saying it causes you to go, not in a million years, Right? Sometimes you have a, a reaction somewhere in the middle. You know, I don't I don't know about this. Your character's kind of sketchy. You don't have a great track record, but I'm going to trust you. Sometimes they're asking you to trust them over what to order on the menu. Sometimes it's something bigger, like a financial issue. See Bernie Madoff. Sometimes it's a health issue, medical procedure. Jesus is saying to his disciples right here, I am about to leave you. And when I do, trust God. Just trust him. Put your life in his hands and trust that he knows what's best for you. See, this is this is not about them mustering up this belief. As much as it is them just relaxing and saying, God, whatever comes my way, it comes from the hand of a loving holy, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God, and I will trust you. 
Trust that he will finish the work that he started in you, both in you and through you. Trust that he will remove whatever hinders you from bearing fruit. He will curse whatever in your life is keeping you from bearing fruit. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's pleasant, but oftentimes it's painful. We started by saying that there are those who use this passage to teach that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. The problem with that isn't uh, is that it's just not true. It doesn't hold up in places of poverty. The other problem, though, is in teaching that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and and prosperous. The other problem is that it just doesn't trust God. It attempts to write the details of the contract and then force God's hand to sign it. God, if I believe enough, God, you'll give me this new car or these rings or this relationship or this health. You're saying to God, God, I don't really trust what you will send me through. I don't trust your heart. So, God, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I'm going to have to have in the deal. And God, I'm going to keep mine to the bargain. So, God, you, I'm going to expect you to do the same. The reality is that God loves you more than you love yourself. He is all knowing, all wise and all powerful. What God wants is for you to be completely satisfied in him, regardless of your circumstances. To be totally filled with trust, knowing that he doesn't desire for you poverty or wealth, sickness or health. God, God is not desiring those things for you. What God desires for you is holiness that leads to his glory. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with poverty. And God will use either one. To get glory for himself. So I would challenge you that if we want to have our prayer lives revolutionized, we will remember what God has done in the past. And then when we come to pray that we will pray with the attitude that Jesus prayed with in the garden. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, Father. And that's not an easy thing to pray, is it? That's not easy. I remember sitting there in seminary after after God spoke very clearly into my life to come to come serve the body of Christ. I remember sitting in seminary in a chapel service and hearing at that time Jerry Rankin come and, and give this plea for seminary students who would most of them would go and pastor in places in the south already established where it would be comfortable and easy. And he, he issued this plea that we would consider giving our lives to the foreign mission field. That we would consider uprooting our families, leaving everything that we knew and going into some very dark place where the gospel does not exist at the moment. And I remember sitting there in that chapel service and everything in me, I had always known that I would serve somewhere in the south, close to mom and dad, close to my wife's family and and close to my my sister and and, uh, and all the, the cousins. And we would all grow up happy. But I was forced to wrestle in that moment, in that chapel service. Will I right here on the brink of going into the rest of my life say, God, if you want me to go, I will go. 
And I remember walking to the front of that chapel and just falling on my face before God and saying, God, if that's your will for my life, God, I will take it. I'll embrace it. Whatever you have for me. It's not an easy thing to pray. But it would revolutionize our prayer lives if we would. The third thing is this, quickly. That we would not only remember God's works in the past, trust His plans for the future, but then third, that we would believe God's ability in the present. That we would believe God's ability in the present. In verses 23 through 24, Jesus says these words, the very ripped out of context very often. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, some questions rise out of this. First of all, what is this mountain? Can it be anything we want? Can it be anything that we're up against? Are are we able to come and just say, God, I'm saying to this mountain, the mountain of my debt. Be cast into the sea. God, what are you going to do with that? Can we just treat it as if it's any mountain that we want to choose? Obviously not. Obviously, this is a figure of speech. Jesus is not here talking about a literal mountain. He's not talking here about necessarily the Mount of Olives or anything else or the Temple Mount. It could be more than likely. This is a figure of speech. This is saying if there's anything that is in your way that is hindering you from bearing fruit for the kingdom of God after I leave. Then take it to God. Ask God to remove it. This mountain represents whatever the will of God is. So we can't just come with a blank check and say, God, move this mountain. We come saying, God, whatever the will of your will is in my life, God, accomplish that. The second question that comes out of this particular two verses is in what is the person to believe and not doubt? Is the person to believe in prayer? Because this is what we often do. If I would just pray Long enough and hard enough. If I would just say the right words. If maybe I would have the right posture. Is the right posture to kneel or is it to stand? Is it to be seated? Is it to hold hands with a group? Oftentimes we are so, so depraved and so prone to wander that we will in our flesh pay more attention to things like that, putting our faith in prayer itself or in faith itself and forget that verse 22 tells us that our faith, our belief is not to be in any of those things, but our faith, our belief is to be in God. In God himself. It's his ability, not yours. You know, I used to be able to dunk a basketball. The only way I could dunk a basketball today is with a ladder. My knees and my weight won't let me. I used to I used to be able to really get up there and throw it down. 
And I thought I was it. You know, I thought I was the stuff. Now, in, you know, early on in middle school, I was, you know, Butterfingers was my name. My knees clanked together and all that kind of stuff. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. I couldn't dunk a basketball now if I had to. Guess what? I don't have to. I'm so glad. You know, there's a lot of things that you can't do either. There's a lot of things when it comes to your walk and following Christ throughout the rest of your life and seeing the mission of God go forward that you cannot do. You won't be able to do. You cannot. You can't save your spouse. You can't save your wayward child. You can't cause the cancer to go away. But there is one that can. There is one that can. And Jesus here says to them, have faith in God. But isn't that easier said than done? I mean, it's easy to remember what he's done in the past, isn't it? That's fun. That's fun. Remember what he's done in the past. We get excited about that. We could go around this room, pass the microphone around. What's God done in the past in your life? And we'd get excited. We'd applaud. We would cry. We would laugh together. We would celebrate remembering the past. That's fun. That's easy. Except for those of you who have never experienced his power at all. It's relatively easy to. It's relatively easy to trust his plan for the future. You know why? Because it's out there. I, mean, it's, I said a minute ago, it's hard to pray that way, but it, it's it's easier than this one. Because it's th- trusting his plan for the future is out there. This one's the hard one. This one is the one that is so incredibly difficult. It's hard to believe that you have received something before you've received it, isn't it? You have spouses in this room that have been praying for the salvation of your your mate for years. And you go home every week after coming to this place, being edified by the people of God, worshiping that God together, you go home to a hostile environment to Christianity. You're praying. I would tell you, keep praying. You can't win him to the Lord, but God in his own sovereignty, in his own providence, in his own grace can. I don't know that he will, but he can. It's easy to remember what he's done in the past. It's even easy to say that you'll trust his plans for the future, but it's hard to believe that you've received something before you've actually received it. Unless. Unless you know the character of the potential provider is always good. Unless you know that his intentions will always be carried out. And unless you know that there is no resource that is not at his fingertips. He is good. He is sure. And he is wealthy beyond anything, anyone out there at all.
We need to pray. We need to spend time remembering what God has done in the past. We, we really need to come together as a body of believers, as a family of Christ. We really need to come together as a church and say, God, we will trust you whatever you have for us in the future. We really need, as a faith family, to come together and we need to say to God, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. It doesn't look like you're coming on the horizon. But God, I'm believing that you are big enough and strong enough and good enough. I'm trusting you, but God, I know you can do it. I'm believing what you will, will come to pass. We need to come together and do that. So what I'd like for us to do now is just a little bit different than what we normally do. I'm going to ask Ethan to come and lead us in a time of response. As Ethan starts playing, I normally say to you, keep your seats, stay right there, reflect over what you've heard. But today what I want you to do is I want you to reflect over what you've heard. But if the Spirit of God so moves you as Ethan plays and leads us, I'm going to challenge you as the family of God. To come up here and get all over these steps. This is not an altar. These are steps. But if the Spirit of God would lead you as a faith family together, unified together to say, God, we remember. God, we trust. and God, we believe. Then I'm going to ask you when Ethan begins to pray to come and kneel. Put your arms around one another. Reach your hands out and and touch one another and let's pray together as a faith family. This is not meant to get a bunch of people up here. You hear me? This is not manipulating you. If you don't want to come, don't come. But I want to give you the opportunity to express that this is the desire of your heart. That you would remember you would trust and that you would believe and that we would do so together. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, we come. God, we pray that this would not be worked up because of anything that that we're doing. God, we want to respond in obedience to you. God, I don't want to walk out of this building one more Sunday and just see the preaching end. God, we want to give expression to your word and our willingness to obey it. So, God, I pray that you would stir in us great spirit of unity. God, that we would come and we would pray, remembering, trusting and believing whatever you have for us, you will do. God, I pray that you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're coming, I'm going to be down here in the front. And if you today need to come to receive Christ, I'd be glad to talk with you this morning. If you need to come today and say, this is the church where I feel God leading me to join, I'll be here to receive you. If you need special prayer with your pastor, I'll be glad to be here and pray with you. Whatever it is the Lord leads you to this morning, respond in obedience. Ethan, you lead.
by this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us. Nor will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin. Now cancel at the cross. Jesus, all my trust is in your blood. Jesus, you've read your people owe the wrath remains for us to face we're sheltered by your saving grace and sprinkled with your blood Jesus oh Trust is in your blood, Jesus. You've rescued us. How great your love! Be still, my soul, and know this peace. The merits of your great high priest have bought your liberty. Rely then on his precious blood. Don't give banishment from God. Since Jesus sets you free. Let's sing this together. Jesus, all my trust. Jesus. All my trust is in your blood, Jesus. You've rescued us. How great your love. How sweet the sound of saving grace. to grieve his spotless son for us 
Nor will the righteous judge of men Condemn me for that debt of sin Now canceled at the cross Sing Jesus your precious blood Jesus All my trust Is in your blood Jesus You've rescued us How great your love How sweet the sound How sweet the sound of saving grace How sweet the sound of saving grace Christ died for me How sweet the sound of saving grace How sweet the sound of saving grace Christ died for me and know this peace the merits of your great high priest that bought your liberty rely rely then on his precious blood don't fear your banishment from God since Jesus sets you free Jesus, all my trust is in your blood. Jesus, you've rescued us. How great your love. I'm going to do something that... um that I just kind of felt led to do while I was down here. Some of you right now, the, the emphasis here was on the faith family, the, the body of Christ, the church here. But there are some of you out there that are going through some very, very tough things right now. And it seems easy for a pastor to stand up here and say, remember, trust and believe. But I just want to pray for you right now. And I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand or anything like that. But I just want to lead us right now in sort of this prayer of God's providence and grace in your life, okay? So let me, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I, I don't know what's represented all across this room. God, I don't know what's going on. God, I, I don't want to act like that doesn't matter. God, to the people who are going through these things... God, it matters. It's the, it's the biggest thing ever in their life. And God, because it matters to them, Your Word tells us that they have a Savior who also knows what they're going through, can identify with them, that they can lean on. God, I pray right now that You would wash over them. God, that You would fill their life God, that there would be no void there. God, that that you would be most precious to them. 
And God, beyond that, Lord, whatever the situation is, God, I pray that if it's your will, God, that you would remove it. That you would fix it, that you would take care of it. God, whatever it is, God, if it's your will, Lord, I pray that you would remove it. God, if it's not your will, God, I pray that you would still accomplish your glory, their good through it. God, that you would give them the grace to trust you even in the midst of it. God, I pray that all across this room, God, that you would become central in our lives, that you would become preeminent. God, that we would not simply talk about trusting and believing, but God, that we would trust you because you are good. So, Lord, I pray for these individuals. I pray for this church family. God, would you be glorified in us? Whatever it is, God, that you are doing. God, we trust you in it. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.